0: like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the latest episode of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple of guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. And on today's show, an icon of music, an icon of pop culture, Huey Lewis. We are talking sports with the man who wrote sports. I am your Co host Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And with me on the phone in our Brooklyn Bureau, seven time Emmy winning sports producer Gareth Hughes. Gareth, are you in Brooklyn? Are you in Jersey? You were moving around this week. Where are you, bro?
1: I, for the first time since March, we got out of Brooklyn and we went to a friend's place in New Jersey. They were taking off for a few weeks. And so this is where I'm hiding out. I'm hiding out in the suburbs of Jersey. I don't know if I'm ready to become a suburbs guy just yet, but I do like a house this size. Um, <laughs> man, especially with kids, like they can just be working in one room and I can be on the phone in another. It's so much easier than living in a small apartment. So
0: I am. I uh... am. The pandemic has solidified my suburban douchebaggery, my friend. Like uh, All I can say is that I have been fairly cozy out here compared to like where we used to live down in Chicago, and I can't even imagine riding it out. So I, I have nothing but the utmost sympathy and empathy for uh, you, you city dwellers who are uh, dealing with cramped apartments and crowded streets and everything else that I'm not. Dude, we
1: earned this. There's so many people that left our neighborhood, and I was like, Yeah, we're going to say we like it here. You know, the whole city's your backyard. And that all is well and good and works until a pandemic comes along and your backyard is closed. And then you are left (laughs) to deal with just your house. And what you got is what you got. And uh, I feel like a loser. So (laughs) there you go.
0: Well, speaking of the pandemic, Gareth, as soon as the pandemic started, I sent an email out and said... Hey, there's no sports to talk about. So can we talk, you know, quotes, sports, the album with Huey Lewis and Gareth, we did it. We got him. That's what we're doing today. We're talking about sports, the classic pop rock album of the 80s. But we're also going to talk about Huey Lewis's passion for sports, his history, partying and hanging out with iconic members of the sports community, Gareth. This was a long time coming for me, my friend.
1: Uh, congratulations on this one. Uh, this is a great get.
0: He is um probably the only music my father and I agreed on <laughs> growing uh, up. And I know you and I talked a while back about his appearance on the Questlove Supreme podcast. And yes. you were saying like Huey definitely has his fans within not just the uh, contemporary music community, but especially like the DJ hip hop community, right?
1: Yeah, I was, uh, there's a friend of mine who's a DJ, Cosmo Baker. He's actually from Philly. He he and Questlove go back. And I remember he was tweeting a year and change ago that he was up to having six Huey Lewis songs in rotation as like a globe trotting hip hop DJ. And I ran into him shortly thereafter. And I was like, Huey Lewis, huh? He's like, oh yeah, dude, here's the whole section. And so, I mean, I think that's sort of, Huey Lewis can touch on 80s nostalgia and keep a party going in that way without without offending anybody. And you can then kick it back into like old school rap or oldies or anything from Huey Lewis.
0: Yeah. And um, Questlove was talking about Huey as sort of a blue eyed blues man, where he yeah. said he definitely had that raspy, soulful voice, much like Rod Stewart. Like I think people talk about there are certain guys. You can
1: play 70s Rod Stewart or them that he sings on with a lot of those same sets and nobody's going to get mad about it. Like he, Blue-Eyed Soul shines through Van Morrison is another practitioner. Um, there's a number of them.
0: First things first, we kind of broke down his relationship with Chris Berman. Those of us or those of you who listen to the show know we had Chris on a couple years ago. Huey had an issue with his hearing that if you have followed his story has it made it hard for him to perform almost impossible uh, for him to actually hear music or contribute to um, you know, singing on stage. So we had Chris Berman on to talk about not just his fandom and his legendary prowess for playing on stage with Huey Lewis in the news because there are clips of plenty of that, my friend, on the internet. But we also talked about how he's reached out to Huey during that time and and how he had, uh, you know, how he had let him know he's rooting for him. So we start there talking about Huey's friendship with Chris Berman. We get into his overall kind of fandom in the sports world. You know, he for a long time in the 80s, like, Huey was really linked up with those San Francisco teams, especially the 49ers of that era. So we we talk about hanging out with Dwight Clark. We talk about Joe Montana being on Hip to be Square, doing the here, there, and everywhere part at the end, which is pretty great. Huey was in the stadium for the legendary Joe Montana breaking our Bengals loving hearts drive in the Super Bowl, Gareth. That was a bittersweet mm. pill. And look, it was a lot of fun, Gareth. It was, it was cool to revisit, cool to catch up with Huey. They've got a new album out called Weather that uh, we'll try and play a little bit of. Uh, it was recorded before the issues with his hearing, and it was interesting to hear him talk about the process of recording those tracks. And we get into you know what he's doing to try and repair his hearing and, and, and do hmm. what he's been doing for the last few decades. So I was glad Huey came on.
1: Dude, that is the perfect pandemic guest. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So uh, it was cool. And then afterwards, Gareth, you and I are going to do... A couple, a couple weeks ago, we did our 90s mixtape, with Huey Lewis joining... We're going to do the 80s mixtape. And let me tell you, my friend, I went down some paths I was not expecting to go down with this exercise.
1: I like mine, but there are real holes, and I just gave up.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. So stick around for that after the interview. But right now, Huey freaking Lewis. Here's where I want to start. Um, last year we had Chris Berman on. We did. I I think we did the definitive Chris Berman talking Huey Lewis interview. Um, and he he went he went deep on his fandom on on singing on stage that kind of stuff. I I wanted to ask you. Do, do you remember the first time you invited him on stage and 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 what that was like?
2: Wow. Uh, let's see. Uh, the first time might have been at at ESPN's third uh 20th anniversary maybe hmm. maybe it was maybe it was only their 10th because i think espn and and huey lewis in the news were born sort of simultaneously mm-hmm. the same year and um and i think for their no it must have been early it must have been their 10th anniversary or something that we they hired us to play their their little gala and i think chris got up then
0: how would you rate him as a singer? Because he he he's open that he sings "Walking on a Thin Line" because he's worried that he'll start a riot if he if he jumps in on "Power of Love."
2: What <laughs> kind of a riot? <laughs>
0: yeah, people want their
2: money. People want their money back. <laughs> oh, oh oh oh! I see. Yeah no no, uh, yeah no. He's okay. He's not bad. He can carry a tune. He, you know. He, he he um. I don't know. Well, maybe he's a. Is he a single-digit? I don't know. Maybe maybe not quite. <laughs> maybe not quite single-digit.
0: You know, I got a chance to listen to Weather a number of times, really enjoy the album. I see why you have a lot of affinity for it. Now, clearly, um, as most people know by now, these songs were recorded before the issues with your w- with your hearing. But I have heard you talk about... The, you, you feel like this ranks among your best work. W- what do you think stands out about the album?
2: Oh, I don't know. It's the songs, really. You know, songs are just kind of... Uh, it, it's hard to, it's hard to write uh, original songs when first of all you've written a bunch of them already. so there's a lot of ground you don't want to recover and and then and you're also no, no spring chicken you, you know you can't <laughs> kind of write about cars and girls all, all the rest of your life. so uh, you know you got to find subjects that that, uh, that are true to you that's uh, and, and and those are just gifts. so this was kind of a nice batch of songs to begin with and we we never never hurried because we the theory was that as long as we were still playing good which we were that it didn't matter how long you know the world wasn't dying for another Huey Lewis in the news record and we could just take our time and when we had 10 of them we could release it and unfortunately after we had sort of seven things recorded and my hearing crashed but you know we sort of took our time and so we were able to um handle these songs and produce them in a way that they felt like they really wanted to be produced we were under no deadlines and so on so you know it was really a, a labor of love for us there's no no real market anymore for records and all that so it really was a labor of love and we were able to take our time and uh and 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 then we were just lucky Some of just turned out great
0: yeah your music's always blended different you know aspects of blues, rock, pop, soul. this to me feels like you you all leaning into the bluesier side of your sound is kidding me Was that intentional or was it just how it shook out in the recording process?
2: Yeah, just kind of how it shakes out. you know the songs the songs tell you how they want to be produced uh, ideally. I mean, that's really. As you know, we produce produce the stuff ourselves, and so, and the key is really to listen to the song. It sounds a little, a little, um, hearts and flowers, but it's really true. That the song begins to, you know, certain songs want it, tells you how, how, what, what instruments it wants to be played on, and, and, and how long, and whether it needs a bridge here and that. And so, you know, this is just kind of how the songs, the, this is the, the, the record that the songs led us to, if you will.
0: You know, you mentioned not being a spring chicken, you know, I think about songs like while we're young and yet, even though it's nostalgic in a way, it's never gloomy. I mean, it's very still optimistic, still upbeat, kind of retains that enthusiasm you all are known for. Are, Was that the goal? It, it, it seems like you were still sort of having fun, even as, as you got more personal and maybe reflective on this album.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's fair to say we, um, you know that's that's the idea. Where you know we're um, we're not as good as we once were, but we're as good once as we ever were. You know, <laughs> I mean uh, that's uh, that's it, and, and it's it's um, uh, you know that's it. That's that's pretty much it. I mean, what are you gonna do, right? Mm-hmm. My buddy Tico Tico Torres, from drummer for Bon Jovi, and I are, are friends. We we play golf a lot together, and and he always he's got he's from New Jersey, and he says. What are you going to do? (laughs) (laughs) I think at this point in life, what are you going to do? You know, so we just you write the songs that come into your head.
0: Yeah, I heard you say one of the boys was one of the more personal songs you've ever written. Uh, And and so I wonder what is it that makes you open up um, and and, and kind of lay yourself down on a
2: track like that? Well, what's weird about that one is that I actually was um, asked. By there's a great record producer in Nashville called Dave Cobb, who I had lunch with, and he, um, uh, he asked me if if I thought if if I could write a song for Willie Nelson. He felt he thought he was going to produce the next Willie Nelson record, and I was I was shocked, you know, I was flattered, but I thought, ah, me right for Willie Nelson, and it's crazy. But uh, but I woke up and I, I uh, about three weeks later with this entire song in my head, uh, and. Um, and so we got, we demoed it on the road and sent it to him. And he never got the gig with Willie, but, um, so I uh, guess Willie never heard the song and, and that was that, but our drummer, Bill Gibson said, uh, geez, I think we ought to do it. I think it's a pretty good song. And I, I said, but Bill is country. And I, I, mm. and, uh, I went, I, he said, ah, I don't know. I think it sounds pretty good. I mean, you sing it good and it sounds like us. And I, I listened to it again with that in mind, it's, and I suddenly realized that the lyric I'd written, you know, for Willie was actually my life story. So um, sometimes it's easier to write for somebody else, you know, and and even though you're, you're writing your story, you don't really realize it. So that, that's kind of what happened there. I could have sneaked up on myself.
0: You mentioned Willie Nelson. I, I, I'm reminded of a, a a story you told about being on the set of We Are the World and talking golf with Willie Nelson. and. And was it Bob Dylan who just couldn't believe two rock stars are talking golf?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dylan came. We were talking. Willie asked me. He says, "I hear you're playing golf on the road." I said, "Yeah, we put our clubs under the bus and play. It's a good way to pass time." He says, "Same with us. We're doing it a lot." And Dylan catches us talking and comes over and says, "Are you guys talking about golf?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and Willie says, "Yeah." He says, "That's outrageous." I said, <laughs> I, said "I said, I said, no, Bob." Nashville skyline was outrageous. This is just golf.
0: <laughs> uh, who's the Who's the best? Like kind of low key rock music uh, icon golfer. I, mean, I I've golfed with Alice Cooper before. He's he's got quite a game. I just I wondered uh, who who's joined you on the on the course and and, and kind of lit you up.
2: Well, a lot of the country guys are good. Charles Kelly's a good player. He was a good junior player. Uh, from um, uh, uh, let's see who uh, who else. Uh, uh, Jake Owen's a good player um Yeah, there's there's some there's some good a lot of the country guys are pretty good yeah uh, alice has got a good game you're right um uh, uh chris o'donnell hits it good long and he's a good player he's not a he's an actor but um let's see music um yeah you huh. yeah, clay with- walker's pretty good clay walker can play <laughs>
0: Well, I was—I always joked, Alice used to kind of say he swapped uh, drinking for golfing, and that's why his band would complain they'd be out there doing 36 holes a day before, his show,
2: before every show. Like, you know, yeah, Hank, you let know. us off the hook. Um, yeah, no, uh, g- golf's a, a wonderful compliment for rock and roll touring because, you know, first of all, it's... It gets you away from everybody. There's only four people out there, so nobody can get to you. There's no cell phones. It's a lovely waste of time, and and you, there's plenty of time during the day on the road when you don't have much to do. And if you're in, say, Ohio, there really isn't much to do unless you play golf. <laughs> right. And if, and if you do, and if you do, there's you're in Mecca. You know, there's unbelievable golf courses everywhere. So it's a it's a great complement to rock and roll touring.
0: Uh, yeah having grown up in Ohio I can confirm that Huey there is not much to do outside of of, of golfing. Uh,
2: I, I lived in I lived in Ohio for 3 years. Yeah. I was uh, yeah. yeah. I like I love Ohio. I love Ohio.
0: Let me ask you this cuz I heard an interview with you once and you were talking about getting ready to go to Cornell I, I think it was and, and you made a comment like you thought maybe you were going to play ball there. Were, were you going Did did you play sports in in college before you ultimately left for music or or were you going to? <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, well I was going to uh yeah i played in high school and then i took a year off between high school and cornell and and um and discovered music you know yeah and so when i went back when i went to cornell it was all about music so i didn't go out but yeah no i mean i, I played in high school i mean you know it's been far-fetched what I, I you know I, people say you ever consider a baseball career i said yeah and then i turned eight You know,
0: (laughs) I've heard you say that you could tell a good rock and roll town by whether they're a good baseball town. What's your what's your philosophy behind that?
2: Well, it's similar. I think similar. That's that's a good point. I mean, good sports towns are good rock and roll towns, Cleveland, Detroit, like that. You know, here in San Francisco and Los Angeles, there's a lot of other things to do. And, And 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 people probably aren't as as devoted, you know, they don't don't as much invested. But yeah, the industrial towns, the worker towns, the blue collar towns, they're the better rock and roll towns.
0: Now, you you mentioned San Francisco. I mean, you were at the the height of your popularity when that was the epicenter of the sports world with uh, you know, those 49ers teams, the Giants were, you know, were good in that era. What stands out to you most? Because I know you had a lot of relationships with the players. You you probably ran in similar circles. What do you, what stands out about that era uh, of sports for that city?
2: Uh, just how wonderfully tied in everything was in those days. You know, San Francisco is a real city, but it's also a small town in, in a lot of ways. And because of of the nature of the, of the people involved, especially, you know, Bill Walsh gets a lot of credit, the coach. He understood what the 49ers meant to the community. And, you know, we'd come out of a pretty rough period. I mean, the 60s were summer of love, and then everything turned sort of sour with the, you know, the the super spade and Hate Street went to, you know, got miserable, and and there was, uh, uh, you know, the Patty Hearst thing, and then the, the 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 crazy murderers, and the Harvey Milk stuff, and all that stuff. So San Francisco w- was in need of something, and, and 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 the 49ers really provided that. And Bill understood that, and he invited us, that is Huey Lewis in the News, to be part of that. We were on several flights. You know, we took the team playing several times to the Super Bowl a couple times. And he, he really included everybody because he understood what the 49ers meant to the city culturally. And, 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 there was, and BAM magazine, which was a Bay Area magazine, um, incorporated all those same things, the athletes and the politicians and the, and the comedians and the actors and the musicians, you know. And so uh, in that sense, it's always been a very close knit community. And uh, we were very close with the players. I remember uh, uh, at summer camp, uh, 49ers were in summer camp in July, I think it was. And we were playing, we played Cal Expo in Sacramento. And they were in Rockland, which is, you know, an hour and a half away. And Bill um, made arrangements to have the whole team come down to our gig. And we set them up backstage along the periphery of our stage, built these, these, uh, places sort of grandstands in back of us. And we played the show with surrounded by, you know, 50, 49 Niners. Pretty great. <laughs> uh,
0: who was the most fun hang of that, of that team?
2: Well, Dwight Clark was, was our, our best pal, yeah. you know, Dwight, Dwight was an amazing guy, Dwight Clark. I mean, he was a great athlete, obviously he could sing really well. I mean, he was a low single digit singer and appreciate her but he was also he was just such a a, a good guy i mean everybody loved white you know i mean it was he was impossible not to love and uh yeah you know, we still miss him we we lost him here a couple you know year ago so we still miss him
0: i mean he sang on some of your 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 songs correct
2: yeah in fact well, uh, on hip to be square the the the, the here there and everywhere yeah. in the background is is joe montana Ronnie lott Ricky Ellison and Dwight Clark. <laughs> and they, they we had them shout that here there and everywhere and then we harmonized on top of it so it kind of sounds like a big chorus. But so the last and then I sing hit the B square in between that and the last hit the B square that you hear is actually Dwight Clark
0: singing. Ah.
2: Cuz cuz we had him sing on like kind of a wild track and I was you know, I don't know. I, I made a mistake. I should have put more of Dwight in there than I did. But, but the last <laughs> voice you hear on that record singing hip to be square is actually Dwight.
0: I mean, you mentioned, I, I believe that the, you know when the NFL complained about non essential people being on the sidelines, the Niners gave you a photo pass, right?
2: Yeah. That's, that's kind of a funny story. Actually. They, when, you know, and I think it was, it was Jerry Glanville, the Atlanta Falcons, and MC Hammer that ruined it for all of us. Because oh, <laughs> Hammer Hammer was out on the field, high fiving Deion Sanders when he was with the Falcons, and and the, and, they, and 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 you know the the NFL saw that and said, "Oh, wait a minute." So they issued this edict that non-essential players and non-essential personnel could not be on the sidelines. And so, but Dwight told me, and at that point, Dwight was. GM then and so he said, look, we we you know you're not allowed to be on the sidelines, but I think it'll be okay if you disguise yourself, and um and just be cool, you know, wear a 49er cap and 49er jacket, and look like you're part of the team, which I did, and I remember and then we got we got busted on on a Monday night football there playing the New York Giants, <laughs> and the Niners were up by about three touchdowns, and the in the in the fourth quarter and they take and I see the cameras starting to look around, and I said to Bill uh, Gibson, our drummer who's with me, I said, "Billy, we got to get out of here." He says, "Yeah." And as we left behind the 49er bench, they just pulled Steve Young, and Steve Young comes <laughs> walking straight because the Niners were up by 21 points, and he, and so and Steve comes right to the to the to the um, bench and makes eye contact with me, and he goes, "Hey, Huey." And I go, oh, hey, what am I going to do, run away, you know? So I go, yeah, <laughs> hey, Steve. We shake hands. And then now there's a camera in my face. And they say, John Madden wants to say hello. I said, oh, well, hi, John. And, and 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 so we got busted on television. And the 49ers got fined $2,000. And uh, Carmen Policy wrote a great letter to them about how, how dare they fine find find, find the 49ers for having me on the sidelines that I was a making the case that I was their spiritual advisor. And you know, <laughs> he said, would you find Billy Graham's $2,000 if he was on the sidelines? And he said that I've counseled players and, and uh, in, in substance abuse, especially a rare vintage champagne. That's hilarious. <laughs> I still have the letter. It's really funny.
0: What was your, I mean, you mentioned going to the Super Bowls and stuff. What was your favorite Niners moment to see live?
2: Oh, the, the the against Cincinnati, yeah. the drive. Uh, I, mean, I was a was Bengals just... fan
0: growing up that that broke my heart, Huey. What was what was the final <laughs> drive like, man?
2: It was unbelievable. It was just unbelievable. And you know, and last year in the Super Bowl, that was the same park, same ballpark, mm-hmm. and 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 they got the ball at the same like at the twenty. Uh, Garoppolo gets the ball at the twenty with like two minutes and forty seconds to go. And I thought, let's let's make history repeat itself. But they just couldn't get it done. <laughs> but I remember that's the famous huddle where Joe Montana, they call timeout. I think there's just over two minutes on the clock. Four has got the ball deep in their own territory. They call timeout. And, and they all gather around the huddle. And, and uh, Mon- Joe gathers everybody and goes, look, hey, Harris, look. There's John Candy up in the stands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: before I let you go, um you look. There's no sports. I got to ask you at least one question about about your album, sports or or, or whatnot. i sure. I've heard the urban legend is you were hung over for the album shoot. Uh, did you uh, for like the album cover shoot? Did you do the ice trick that the, you know the uh, Paul Newman ice trick for you made famous in in, in one of your videos?
2: That's good. I didn't. I should have. Maybe I should have. Yeah.
0: No, I did. I, I tell you what. Th- that's an album that, beyond its commercial success, it blends so many different styles. I've heard you talk about how it doesn't hold up as an album necessarily because of the distinctly different song uh, types on there. But I would argue that as we get further away from it, it makes it harder to place. So, I mean, some of those songs sound like they are, um, you know, they could come out could have come out in the '70s. Some of them sound like they could have come out in the '90s. So as you look back on that, did you still feel like as a band you were really experimenting with your with your sound? And is that why you have so many distinctly different things or was it you were just kind of trying something new in, in search of that, like larger commercial success? And this is just how it shook out.
2: Well, yeah, sports was our third album and we needed a hit in those days if you look back it's 1982 we recorded that it was a radio world there was no internet there were no jam bands there was it was all about top 40 radio which was then now called chr contemporary hit radio which was really 23 songs they were playing over and over again so you needed to have a hit record to even be viable to keep your record contract so we insisted on producing it ourselves because we wanted to make those commercial decisions ourselves if we're you know we're if we're gonna have to live with them and so um uh every song in that record was aimed at radio for the most part uh and we didn't want to repeat ourselves You know, one was kind of a rocket, rocking track. One was more of a bluesy track. One was a ballad, that kind of thing. But basically, we needed to have a hit to exist. We didn't know we were going to have five of them or six of them, you (laughs) know. But, but uh, and so, to me, it sounds like a collection of singles. But but the diversity of style is something that we've lived with, and you know, we're always been warned against by everybody, by every record label we ever had, every manager, every Everybody's always said, you know, you can't be all over the place like this. you got to narrow your focus. But I, you know, we just haven't been able to. I just I write the songs. We write the songs that come into our heads. And and, and this and, and I like all kinds of music. So different stuff, um, you know, just and, 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 and our new album, Weather is no exception. It's also kind of all over the map mm-hmm. stylistically. But but I think there's. There's a personality at least that, that a common personality that runs through those songs that that seems to say, right, these are Huey Lewis' and the new songs.
0: you know, l- lastly, I mean, athletes always talk about their legacy. and i I heard you on the Quest Love podcast, which is absolutely fantastic, by the way. And Quest Love mm-hmm. calls you a blue eyed blues man with a a tinge of raspy soul on the side, and he's really complimentary of of how tight you and the band have been over the years. How important is it to you? That, that you were remembered by the next generation of, you know, musicians here as, you know, for the contributions you've made musically and stylistically, not just for the kind of massive commercial success that you've had.
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's surprisingly important. I mean, you know, the respect of your peers is really the most important thing for me. Uh, you know, we, commercial success was important earlier on because if you didn't have a hit rock, I say with sports, we didn't have a hit record we weren't going to exist but when we hit it um we made a vow to ourselves that we wouldn't do anything purely for commercial reasons and we haven't and so it sounds funny i mean i don't i don't worry about it and think about it the legacy or any of that stuff but it is quite important and you know we, we, you know the, the rock and roll hall of fame is a wonderful thing that, that has nothing to do with us yet but but, uh, but, but, you know, we, we, I try to work creatively and I mean, all you can do is your best work. I mean, that's all you can do, you know, yeah. and just uh, keep your nose to the grindstone and, and, and make the best work you can. And, and that's what we've done. Well, look,
0: Huey, it's been awesome talking to you. I will say this when Chris Berman joined us, you know, he, he was very clear. You're, you're going to be back out there eventually. So I, how, how is, just as we end, how is the the situation with your hearing and have you noticed any improvement? S-
2: well, not really. I'm I'm actually having a pretty good day today. Oddly enough, after two years and four months, almost four months, it still fluctuates, and uh, I've got everybody baffled from uh, Mayo Clinic to Stanford Ear Institute to Mass General to UCSF and and all and holistic people. I've tried chiropractic and and acupuncture and essential oils and changed my diet and done all kinds of stuff but nobody no no real help although you know it is still fluctuating and there's always hope and i'm having a pretty good day today i i you know unfortunately even good days are still challenging mm-hmm. for me uh, mu- musically i i don't know that i could hear a big loud band again and sing to it i might be able to do smaller things at some point but i don't know but I, I'm, I haven't given up hope. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm still keeping the faith. So, anything. It's a crazy disease I have. This thing, many disease. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows anything about it. And There's all kinds of stories of people, you know, of it changing and and and. Uh, so, you know, you always gotta gotta you, you gotta be positive.
0: Well, when 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 you do get back on stage eventually, which we we believe you will, you can let Chris Berman finally sing "Power of Love."
2: <laughs> okay, I'll do it. <laughs>
0: And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all do interesting things. And then we, the fans, tell them, stop being interesting. You're being a locker room distraction. Get back to watching game film. That is ridiculous. So on this show, Gareth, we end every week by telling you what's been distracting us. And we just had to do it, man. We had to go there. Huey Lewis came on the pod. We had done the 90s mixtape a while back. Now it's time to get into our all-time 80s mixtapes. I got to say, man, when I was in high school, I was at my grandparents' house and on the TV, there was a commercial for like totally eighties. It was Mm -hmm. like a three, two to three disc set that had every single like iconic eighties, like air quotes, eighties track, you know, weird science, um, uh, blinded me with science. Uh, uh, aha, take on me 99 loof balloons and Mm -hmm. Gareth, The minute I started doing this exercise, it was like, metaphorically, I grabbed that three CD set and hurled it out the car window, (laughs) never to be heard from again. I just, ultimately, it was like, I know that's what we think of when we think of 80s music, but there's so Mm -hmm. much better music than that in the 80s. And if I'm going to make a tape, I'm going to listen to what I want to listen to.
1: I love it. I'm glad you did it. I don't know why we're still limiting these to 10, because... You can definitely fit more than 10 songs on a 90-minute cassette, and you cry a lot less trying to do it. But um, I have some of that, and then I went out on other limbs that I'm very happy about.
0: All right, well, let's get into it. you want to go first? The floor is yours.
1: I'm in honor of our guest. number one song. and it's not, I don't know that it's bet, his best, but I was watching these with my kids as I was making this list. Back in Time, Hugh Lewis and the News. The title track to the Back to the Future film um, or the opening credit song, uh, it will endure forever for that reason. That's how I'm starting off the 80s. We're going back in time.
0: Yeah, I've also got Huey a little bit later. I've got a different song. And I I just mentioned totally 80s. And I know that, you know, Huey, look, we had him on. So (laughs) this probably sounds like we're just kissing his ass. Uh, Uh But I love you, Lewis. And I love I think that stuff is aged so much better than yeah. so much of the other kind of 80s music because I think there's real dudes playing instruments. And, I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, they do some synth stuff here and there. And I think it's because they can all sing and they do cool harmonies. And it's like, yeah, the stuff age, age
1: fine. If you make music like real music, it will age well. If you make, I like, I'll say this. A friend of mine was talking about exposing his kids to Millie Vanilli and I laughed and I went back and listened to it to see how that stuff held up that's terrible music. Like it's not worth defending the Vanillies just because they got, they were the ones who got <laughs> in trouble for, I don't know. Like they got in trouble for lip syncing at a time now when it doesn't matter. But like the music is not good. It's, it's like not, a ringtone. I mean, yeah, it's just, it, it, it p- is not worth saving. Like yeah. that's fine. We got rid of bad music. It's okay. <laughs> so.
0: All right. Great choice. Inspired choice. Now mine. Track one. I wanted a party jam, Gareth. I wanted a okay. up-tempo, rockin', feel-good, positive vibes jam. I went with Prince, Let's Go Crazy.
1: I mean, it's an all-time song. Um, I have Prince at the very end. He is the last song on my mix. So I thought about like Hungry
0: yeah. Like the Wolf. That was about as close to quintessential 80s pop as I maybe would have would have gotten on this um Mm -hmm. and i like duran duran uh but i just think i just think let's go crazy is like a timeless classic
1: (laughs) absolutely when it starts with like the spoken word intro again you get you've repeated that from your 90s yep mixtape so you get that and then you get that killer guitar solo bluesy moves at the end you know so all-time killer no filler to start that up. Well done.
0: <laughs> All right. Track two, go.
1: Track two, uh, this is where, look, I enjoyed this exercise almost more than the 90s because I just took guesses and was happy with my responses. One of the quintessential bands I think of the 80s uh, is the Talking Heads, and I went with their song. They bridged the 70s into early 80s, but this must be the place. It's only grown in stature over the years. It's a mixtape classic. And they're a band that I automatically think of when I think of like critically lauded 80s is the Talking Heads. So that's my number two.
0: Would you go, uh, you know, CD track or maybe Stop Making Sense, you know, live?
1: Bluntly, if I was going to do a great, like that was a sentimental pick. And I think it's aged really well and it's grown in stature. It's more popular. But choosing against Burning Down the House was hard for a mixtape of like best 80 songs. That's way up there. Yeah, it's great.
0: All right. My track two. I wanted to go Jackson family, something or other here. So I, I canceled at,
1: him. So there you go. Uh,
0: you know what? I probably should, but I just, you know,
1: musically, I get it. <laughs> I get it. I get it.
0: Uh, I thought Janet, I, there's nothing in the eighties from her that I like enough. Uh, uh, is the nation '90s? I should have put that yeah, on the '90s Yeah, well, next. maybe maybe '90 90, '91, like Escapade and that kind of stuff. Was that early '90s? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, she wasn't going to climb over Michael on my list. Yeah. The question was uh, the question was which which Michael? And I thought Smooth Criminal, I thought Thriller, I thought Billy Jean. This is a little bit of curveball, Gareth. I went the way you make me feel. I think wow. Coming out of, I think coming out of Prince, it's just kind of an up tempo.
1: Yeah, it's got a lot do, of the, do, the elements yeah.
0: of Michael that you want and it doesn't stick out of the mix the way that um the way that Thriller would. I love Thriller, but like how do you put that on any mix that's not just like Halloween music at this point? And <laughs> right,
1: I, right. That's, I, dude, it's a it's a novelty song. Like Thriller is the best selling album, but it is anchored by a novelty song. Like a right. haunted house song.
0: So yeah, that's my. I got. Uh, let's go crazy into the way you make me feel. I'm feeling All pretty right, good. You have about a
1: better it. '80s mix so far, but I like mine more. So I went more <laughs> personal right. as opposed to like omnibus. Go. You track three. Track three is by. It's my only one hit wonder on here. It's my little band called the Grateful Dead. Yeah, I went with Touch of Grey. That's right. Their only top ten hit. Unapologetically it, love Touch of Grey. From the gray. '80s, Touch of Grey. It's a dude. That song has been played in every supermarket in America. You know what I mean? Like that song is pretty ubiquitous.
0: Pretty good. So. That, is, uh, that is a tremendous pull. Great video too. One of the earliest videos I ever remember with the uh, the skeleton arms. Yep. Like, you
1: know, oh, love Playing it. Playing the song. And anytime you can call the Grateful Dead a one-hit wonder, you have to take that opportunity. There you go.
0: <laughs> okay. My next, my track three was what I called suit and tie rock. So this is Huey Lewis. I went Power of Love, the other Mm. track from Back to the Future, and honestly, a song you can put on right now and sounds so much more
1: contemporary than you think. Well, again, watching that movie, and you said it about his music, like, it's aging well because they could play instruments and chose instruments, and it doesn't sound out of bounds in the 80s. Like, it's certainly of that time, but it's aging well because they didn't just plug in a few synthesizers. It doesn't sound like a ringtone if you put
0: it. I also think that those two tracks of all the Huey stuff age really well because Mm -hmm. they're in a time travel movie and everything in time travel movies seems like crystallized in amber. Like, because it's a movie about the 50s and so... It doesn't right. feel like it's grounded in the 80s, even though, you know, th- those sections and clearly that music is speaking that language. Um, mm. But I've always said that when you put something in a time travel movie or you go back in time with flashbacks, things within the movie can age well because you just can't place it in the same way. Well put. I like this theory. <laughs> I um, heard it somewhere. I, I, you're not going to take credit. It's probably a Chuck Klosterman essay or something. But um, Hey, well done. All right, track four. Track four, I went with one. How many do we have? 10 or 11? We have 10. There's no hidden track this time. Because I don't remember hidden hidden tracks being a thing
1: in the 80s. All right. Then I'm killing this one and I'm moving on. I'm going late 80s. All-time great album. Um, You know it. You love it. It's the Bangles, baby. Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses is my track four.
0: Yeah, I had GNR on my on my '90s. They didn't make this list um, I But Appetite like a... came
1: out in the '80s, you know. And that's, I know. To me, that is the one essential GNR.
0: I went with a different. It was the it hardest was selection, Rain, right?
1: Yeah, I went with November Rain in my
0: '90s, but my my hard rock one for the '80s is actually the hardest pick in my okay. in my thing. We'll get to it in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, my my number four. I wanted a movie soundtrack song. Mm-hmm. This is tough. Because I was looking at, like, Cindy Lauper's Goonies. I was looking at the entire Kenny Loggins <laughs> catalog. Garrett.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I even was looking at, at, like, Party Man by Prince from the Batman soundtrack, which is, like, mm. pretty sweet. Ultimately, I, I took, again, a curveball, but a song that, even though it's unmistakably tied to the subject matter of the movie, I think rocks out much cooler than anything in that movie. I'm talking about Tina Turner's We Don't Need Another Hero from
1: Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Beyond Thunderdome, yeah. Man, that movie, I remember watching it when I was way too young for it. Not that there was anything totally inappropriate. Um, It was on TV in the 80s, but it was so far over my head. Oh, my God. Uh, But I heard that song, and then it made me realize that movies could have songs and like it it tied the two together for me i'm a big sucker
0: for something that ends with a chorus of people like it's why i almost got men in the mirror on this list too but when the kids are like we don't need another hero
1: yeah i'm in in i'll still ride for michael jackson's what about us because of the ending (laughs) so
0: i know you and i have a soft spot for earth earth song right yeah yeah oh, no, that exactly. is the song that is the what, yeah, yeah, what yeah, about but, the elephants what about what about us? <laughs> us? yeah exactly all right uh track four or track five end of side one
1: track five end of side one okay look rap came out of the 80s well the 70s but really came into its own in the 80s so much of the old school like a hip hop a hibbit a hibbit to the it just it doesn't work for me anymore. Steve Shaver's not a big enough part of my life, maybe. At this point, shout out Steve Shaver. Thanks for texting. It's been nice to be in touch with you. But some of the 80s stuff is just gold. And I ended side one with not track two from this album, which has come up a lot recently, but Straight out of Compton, first song, first album by NWA.
0: You were the first of our friends, maybe Nathan, who got really into... Like more hardcore explicit
1: rap, in I listen the to 80s. a lot of old rap music. Like, I have a very good knowledge of all of that stuff with NWA, Ice Cube, his solo records, Easy Solo Records, the Ghetto Boys, and all their albums. I mean, like, my favorite posse track in rap music history is still Bring It On by the Ghetto Boys at the end of Till Death Do Us Part. Which is a pretty deep pull. <laughs> I'm just gonna come out and say that. Um, <laughs> I listened to a lot of really obscure rap tapes in that era, and um, thank you for shouting that out, Brad. I appreciate <laughs> it.
0: I, we, we would have to borrow, like, we would borrow them uh, from you on like, uh, you know, basketball tr- oh, yeah. bus trips because I, I, I had was the I had like Genesis first, tapes.
1: <laughs> I had the... First Tupac albums like right away and yeah, I just, I read the source obsessively. Um, it's kind of interesting to think back on that era because it was a time, you know, it was before the internet and it was like you had to collect all this information analog. so, yeah. uh, but we did it. So, and <laughs> bus tape trading was a big part of it, including Straight out of Compton.
0: All right, but I'm going in the exact opposite lane On this one to end nice. my side one I wanted a big ass 80's ballad But mm-hmm. not again not like a uh, Not like a Cheese ball you know song I mean mm-hmm. this is pretty cheesy But it's like more emotional Like dramatic It's George Michael's father figure
1: I love that song Yeah it's I a great song I absolutely love that song I absolutely love that song he
0: is so underrated from that era. He had awesome hits. He was like such a sex icon for a while. He had a mm-hmm. great look. You know what he was coming out of Wham? He had the exact same trajectory that Justin Timberlake had when he left NSYNC and he had his solo album and almost everyone agreed, okay, that solo album is like really interesting. Now, I don't mm-hmm. think where J- JT has taken his musical career has has actually kind of rec- reclaimed or recaptured that same trajectory. I think he's gone downhill. But there was mm-hmm. a moment when George Michael, when you heard that album and you go, uh, Faith, right, was the album? You heard that album mm-hmm. and you go, I didn't realize the dude from Wake Me Up Before You Go Go was capable of this, but holy shit, this is cool.
1: I also, I we listened to Father Figure recently in the car, and I said to Amy, I was like, this is one of the first songs I remember hearing and kind of feeling that uncomfortable feeling of like, what is this? And it was that it was sexy. Like, that was sexy music, like, unapologetically so. Um, it wasn't over the top. Like, it wasn't Madonna, but, like, well, there was something Well, he did release happen- I Want Your Sex. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. But I'm just saying that there was something happening there that was clear to anybody. You know, like, this feels different, so. All
0: right. great,
1: Great good job, side one. side
0: one. Let's go side two, kick us off.
1: Uh, To kick things off for side two, I'm going with Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Just an all-time 80s band, all-time 80s classic. There you go.
0: Tears for Fears is another band that I think if you look at pictures of them, they feel way more 80s than if you just heard them come on the radio.
1: That stuff comes on the radio now, and I turn it up. It's great.
0: Uh, are you in the cult of, uh, that song got new credibility from the Donnie Darko montage?
1: Uh, yes. I think that it's used in movies and then they're just sort of like getting back into pop culture through that, through the Gary Jules cover from Donnie Darko. Um, it was nice to remember that Tears for Fears is important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that director, um... Didn't quite. Uh, out.
1: Yeah. Claim didn't out. quite.
0: Didn't quite keep going. Okay. Yeah. I want to start my side too with a hair metal banger. Gareth, this is the hardest one. I even have two
1: songs highlighted in here. That if it's I, not going to be from episode I have two picks. So I want to see if you got either one of them.
0: Well, I thought about Motley Crue. Didn't go that way. Okay. Because I, I actually think the best crew song is um, "Kickstart My Heart," and I believe that's early '90s. Okay. I thought about Def Leppard. I couldn't Mm -hmm. do it. was it either of those, yep. I'm still looking at this. Okay. I'm going to take off Twisted Sisters. I want to rock, but I love that song. And I'm going to lead off side two with Panama by Van Halen.
1: (laughs) Wow. That was not my pick. But Van Halen, to me, has moved out. They've ascended from metal into just like accepted canonical rock, but that's awesome. Yes,
0: that's fair. I mean, I, it's like calling Metallica like a thrash metal band. They're like something right. different historically now. I actually also thought I, I think "Why Can't This Be Love" is a really good song too. Mm. When they when they like the early stuff with Hagar is pretty great. By the time they get to the nineties, you're like uh, enough. Yeah. Um, but Panama is great, and Panama has all the things you want. It's it's got that like rich synth big sound. It's like arena rock mm-hmm. sound. And then there's like the extended David Lee Roth sexual metaphor filled
1: monologue. Yes. Like, yeah.
0: Okay. Well, an all
1: time guitar solo from Eddie.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, actually, uh, go back and listen to our um, Judy Batista <laughs> in, There you go. Right. Like extensive yeah. uh, dialogue about about Van Halen. Okay, uh, we've got four more each. Go, what's your track two, side two?
1: Track two, side two, I couldn't do an 80s mix without her. Holiday by Madonna. Um, my kid sang it at a Christmas concert a couple of years ago, and I lauded the teacher for being that clever. It was perfect. It's, it fits for all religions. And thank you, Madonna, for Holiday.
0: Okay, Madonna did not make my list. She was like in the short list. She was in the short list in like five categories, which I think Mm -hmm. talks about her as kind of a five tool player on this list. Mm -hmm. I'd rather go with something that's more rich from her and Vogue was
1: 1990. Vogue's her best song, but that's the nineties. Well, no,
0: I just think I think that's one I mean, a really complete work as an album. Because it's got Express Yourself. Mm -hmm. It's got some other stuff that I think
1: really holds up. So I know, just think of her as so '80s, so that's why I went with that. I know
0: it's totally fair, and, and like I said, she—I she, was kind of shocked that I left her off my list, but it was her or Prince, and I'm like, I'm going Prince. Got it. Okay, I'm gonna go some rap here. I thought about LL Cool J and like you know uh, Run DMC and Beastie Boys, but I just feel like Public Enemy is undeniable, and I feel like Fight the Power. It, even though I, I, I'm more closely associated with rap that kind of came out in the nineties, I mean the whole first line of nineteen eighty-nine, you're like, okay. Like I'm it's, right there. Yeah,
1: actually, Brad, it's next on my list. It is the next song. <laughs> so go go in. So, tell me why did it make why did it make your cut? Just because look, again, uh it's his tie in with the movie Um and Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, which is probably the best movie of the eighties. certainly the one that's aged the best. It opens that film. It was written for that film. Um, I don't know. I think that Public Enemy and NWA, which I also included, were the best of rap and what brought rap into the 90s. I mean, like, I think in 89, you had groups like Tribe Called Quest putting out their first album, De La Soul putting out their first record, but they wouldn't come into their own in the 90s. This was Public Enemy at its most ferocious. And. Yeah, you said 1989 the number another summer down to the funky drummer it's just i don't know it's the best ever so it's a masterpiece right like that yeah, would you call that yeah. a hip hop masterpiece it's an all-time classic like some of these songs we've ra- like i think we've tried to include songs that have stood some of the test of time that song is standing the test of time it will be around for as long as people talk about rap music
0: Super thrilled that I uh, interviewed both Chuck D and Flavor Flav during my uh, brief six-year stint as a newspaper reporter in P- from
1: Peoria, Illinois. I got both those gentlemen well to call damn the original star. <laughs> well done. Uh, they go back to your next one because that was my, I jumped in with my next.
0: Yeah, okay. So third song on the second side. I wanted like a sad ballad. Mm-hmm. Uh, 80s sadness under uh, underappreciated, but if you go back to the movies of the 80s, you get a lot of like that melancholy. Um, what is love? in all
1: those <laughs> episodes.
0: Yeah. I thought about Springsteen, Brilliant Disguise. No, no boss uh, on my on my list. Uh, shout out to all of our white sports media members yep. <laughs> in the 40 plus yep. crowd who listen to us. Sorry. I went Tracy Chapman's Fast Car. Which is one of my great song. yeah one of my all time favorite songs and when I ran into it I go I would have I could have sworn this song was written in like 1994 but the mm-hmm. fact that it wasn't and the fact that we got another decade of stuff that sounded like it was trying to be fast car tells mm-hmm. me that it was a hugely influential song and I just think it again a work that will be on my perpetual song library on whatever devices play music for the rest of my my waking life.
1: I also think that was one of those songs, as we talk about our childhood, like, that was one of those songs that Tracy Chapman was a part of the 97X sort of legacy. Like, I think it was one, it debuted on Left of the Dial radio and some smaller radio stations and then just broke huge um, and just went everywhere. So yeah, she's great. Okay, two yeah. more
0: left for each of us. Um what's your I want to
1: just really quickly, I'm sorry, apologies to 99 Loof Balloons which I wanted to put on here. I also really hate that I wasn't able to include White Snakes here. I go again on my own and last but not least Terence trenton D'Arby's Wishing Well which I love unconditionally. Um so those are my <laughs> honorable Wish- mentions.
0: Wishing Well. Kiss. Oh I- uh,
1: yeah, I- uh, that's
0: on rules i thought about ub 40 and i also okay. thought about she drives me crazy which is a fun mm. jam um i would have like some in
1: on my list because in excess was another one really i good. was
0: i rode hard for in 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 college i got their greatest hits and yeah. some of that stuff's really good but like could you put wouldn't you put u2 over in excess
1: i would take in over U2, and that's just because of a personal hatred of U2, though the best U two is definitely eighties U two, like first album kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, we're, not gonna do,
0: we're not gonna do the the U two dialogue because I'm not a huge fan of them either. I actually think the weirder the weirder U two gets later, the better they get. Like stuff like Gone from the late nineties or. Yeah, I just me, I don't care me. to talk.
1: Look, I feel about U two very similarly the way I feel about Bruce Springsteen. Though I like Springsteen more. I'm glad that people find something with it. It ain't my thing. So just, you know, (laughs) good for you. You have a great, you have a band you love. Um, All right. But you, look, you've mentioned R.E.M. with this. I didn't go R.E.M., but the 80s were a time when Left of the Dial radio really made its mark. The song Left of the Dial was done by The Replacements. I went with one of their bigger hits from the album Let It Be because they said we will name our album we're going to turn on the radio. We have to name this album. Whatever song is playing, we will name it that and happen to be Let It Be. So they named their album Let It Be, um, is unsatisfied. You've heard it in such movies as uh, Airheads. Um, it's become a bit of an 80s Left to the Dial classic, as have the replacements. Um, so that's my track nine.
0: That's great, man uh no fronting on that uh yeah. as they say all right i wanted something more electric new wave-ish but okay. like but like driving and interesting mhm the choices were i thought about talking heads that it, i i'm just not enough of a fan but i like i like their stuff i thought mm-hmm. about oingo boingo you know i
1: ride for oingo boingo you know i ride for oingo boingo <laughs> that should be what that should be like the <laughs> subtitle of this pod yeah
0: I thought about Blue Monday by New Order, which mm-hmm. is a great song.
1: Classic. I went
0: Sweet Dreams, Eurythmics. all mm.
1: All-timer. And Annie... It's so, recently been TikToks in a beautiful way. It just shows the staying power of that song.
0: Yeah, and Annie Lennox is so... I think she was capturing something really provocative, androgynous, um, you know, just uh, kind of... a uh, biting and sarcastic from that time and i think that that's a whole other subset of culture that mm-hmm. infused its way into pop she's awesome yeah
1: yeah yeah no you said it all sexy androgynous weird alternative i don't know i liked it for number nine we both went with sort of like w-o-x-y left of the dial sort of vibes we'll get so. used to
0: it because it's coming for number 10 on me bro
1: All right, well, I'm going to just, I'll make it quick. I ended with Double Minneapolis. Replacements were track nine. Prince was track ten. I ended with When Doves Cry. So. I thought you were going
0: to go with 12 Rods for a second. (laughs) No, funny. Shout out 12 Rods. um, Shout out James Lynn.
1: Amen. Uh, Yeah, but that's how I ended. I ended where you began. Most good mixtape starters could also work as closers. So there you go. Um, Prince, to close it out. All right,
0: over to you. I wanted to go. My last section was college rock, college radio. College radio was a legit thing back then. Like Mm -hmm. that music did not get played. It was a big deal when R.E.M. was named best band in, you know, in America. Um, You know, I'm an R.E.M. stan. (laughs) Shout out Howard Beck. It's the last song, Gareth. Uh, What do you think I'm going with?
1: The end of the world as we know it. Of course, it. of course.
0: Everybody's ruined graduation last song <laughs> uh, in the ni- for generations to come. Um, it still is great. I, I, when Howard Beck came on, we talked to R.E.M. extensively. I said to him, I love this song. It might be my favorite R.E.M. song. I know it's a novelty song. I know it doesn't hold up musically as well as other stuff. But if it comes oh, on the radio, okay. I turn
1: it I Is this a novelty song, really? Wait, okay.
0: I yeah, know. I mean, it's it's just speed lyrics, um, pop culture.
2: Compared to uh, look, yeah.
0: compared to murmur, compared to green. Of uh, yes, but it's not okay. Mm. But it's not stand. It's not right. Shiny happy people.
1: It's not a radio song. It's yeah, also. The, I, like.
0: I also think it's the it's the inflection point between them as college radio and them as superstars because, and really you could say fall on me, but like fall on me is the, is a good example of, or the one I love. Those are examples of the REM. Those are rock songs. Well, they're also ballads and they're more soaring. This is just kind of like still weird enough for fans of like REM that like when we were in, you know, Damon Little's basement making mixtapes, uh, there's we, still we nothing
1: were, quite like this song. Yeah,
0: R.E.M. was it, still like oddball. We would put it next to They Might Be Giants. It, wasn't, it right. wasn't like, oh, if you were using this R.E.M., you could still say, this is my quirky little underground band, even though it was probably, you know, this was probably a top 40 hit, but it still mm. was not them going to where they went by the time they had, you know, losing my religion and that kind of stuff.
1: Right, the biggest band in the world. So, so
0: there we go, man. I had fun with this one, did you?
1: I did too. I took a totally different tactic than doing the '90s. Um, the '90s, I overthought this. I just like grip it and rip it, baby, and that was a fun <laughs> way to do it. So,
0: well, speaking of grip and rip it, let's shout out Huey Lewis and the News. First sports. Of all, hope Huey is going to get better. Uh, hope his hearing returns uh, well enough for him to perform. In the meantime, go check out weather. Uh, you know, he did make a joke about you know we we've done sports now we've done weather. Uh, Where's the news? Yeah, right. No, that, exactly. Um, I, I think that's great. I, I thought the album had a lot of fun moments on it. Uh, we talk, about, you know, in the interview about some earnest, uh, more kind of soul searching lyricism from him, uh, and and why he decided to open up a little bit, which is which is a lot of fun. And look, go back, revisit that music, man. I'm not trying to sound like a Huey Stan, but I mean, that shit holds up. You know? Dude,
1: you don't have to apologize for recommending Huey Lewis. It's rad. <laughs> so just go for it.
0: Shout out uh the 1988
1: Bengals, uh Baronswig, who day
0: should have won, coulda won. Stanley uh, no who who ran the kickback? Stanford Jennings? Yep. Yeah. Shout out Sam Weiss, R.I.P.
1: <laughs> and, Wish Stanley Wilson hadn't gone off the rails the night before. Oh,
0: uh, you know what? We could replay that game a hundred times, Gareth. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. tonight I probably will.
1: Salmon hadn't dropped a pass.
0: Oh yeah, so. I'm gonna have him on the show at some point. We'll, we'll get David. F- We're gonna get all the Bengals on David Vulture. Yeah, <laughs> no, Lula, the Jim SWAT Breach, team, dude. The
1: SWAT team. Munoz. All
0: right, yeah. Gareth. Any shots
1: from you? Uh, no, nothing this week. That was that was fun. Thank you. All
0: right, and in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, Booty Rappers.
1: They booty.